There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Before you came to earthly vale, before fire first lit the plains, before cobble Street and terminus Before the hawk's wing had brushed the bow There was always one And only one A glow that warmed aforetime its sen The moon underwater Day I find my sen betwixt here thus. Oh, this bar needs shining, and I know just the man to do it. Johnny Jair, John Robbins, the landlord of the moon underwater. I'm going to get shining right now, I don't mind saying so. And while I shine this mystical pub, it's nice to have a little bit of company, may I say. And to that end, sat across... Babar-stooled and bepewed ever so. Hello, Robin, dear friend. How are thee? Yes, very good. Very. You've got it really gleaming in here, I must say. You've really been polishing. Well, I've polished everything about from the blasted bar. Abart from the blasted bar. You look a little polished yourself, John, if I may say so. <laughs> well, wouldn't it be true if I'd had a sup from the king's eighth... <laughs> Um, <laughs> before you arrived, I had a sup from the King's Eighth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's what us uh, land lies, what we call the, the highest level of the cask. Right. You sort of, you, you, you kind of skim off a bit of the cream for yourself. Yeah. So in, in whiskey terminology, it's called the angel's share. Right. Uh, but amongst the caskers and the hoopers and the bar heaves... It's called the the King's Eighth. King's Eighth. Oh wow! So you, well, you've been changing a few barrels, and you just had helps yourself to a little. Oh, one for me and one for thee. That's what I say when I change the barrel, and uh, I take the Reverend Scoop. The Reverend Scoop. Yeah, that's another term. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. So so many terms I'm finding out about. 
Yeah, in so as discussed, in the world of uh, distilling, it's known as the angel's share, but in the world of cascary, it's known as the king's eighth or the, the uh, reverend's scoop. And you've been having a bit of both. I've had a little scoop, mate. Lovely stuff. Lovely. Uh, but you're on the old uh, Bravo Bravos. BB. Bex Blues, right. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, yes. Um, yeah, st- I mean, it's still, you know, I think in January I've had more days off than on. And I just want to kind of continue that throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, that's a great aim. But um, Friday night was a was a bit of a, oh my gosh. I met you on Friday after you'd done your radio programme. Yeah, and we went to the secret pub that's going to remain secret, but I find... We're not going to say what it is. No, not going to name it. Really? No, because everyone has to have a secret pub. It is extraordinary how it's mm, 10 minutes walk from... Well, let's be vague. Oh, let's be vague, okay. But it's 10 minutes walk. It's 10 minutes walk. That's too vague, I think. It's in zone one and it's 10 minutes walk. It's sort of where you just have, it has no right to be. It just, it's, it, it, it just is, it really takes you by surprise. It's one of the great reveals. It's everything I've ever asked of a pub, it's, really. It's fantastic. It's got a brilliant range of beer. I had, I had, um, had really nice, uh, I mean, I had Bitburger on tap, had loads of really nice ales. Um, it had Augustina, bottles of Augustina. The Guinness is fantastic. Guinness is nice, really nice, very quiet as well. Yeah. I mean, like, quite a few. It's sort of, like, after-work-style busy, but it wasn't, like, rammed. Really nice stuff. Beautiful pub. Beautiful wood-panelled pub. I like... I like it sort of feels like we might have, be making this up. Yeah. <laughs> which I quite like. Yes. Um, and then, so we had a couple there, and then we walked to Camden Town, which was quite a long walk, but a nice walk along Regent's Park. It was a nice walk. It sort of made me depressed that I didn't own a £20 million Georgian townhouse. You can't beat yourself up about that. I know, but it's you sort of walk past those sort of gated big houses and you just think, how could you, what can I, how do you, how do I, how do I drive a Range Rover Evoque and have a big house like that? I don't know, but I always just think, what are they actually... What are they doing in there? They're still just watching Netflix like everyone else. Do you know what I mean? They're probably they're making themselves a really shit omelette for tea sometimes. Do you know when you just you run out of ideas and you just make an omelette but it turns out really bad? And it's not like the house is any better. It's not because like inside it's you know they've obviously paid 20 million quid for a five-story townhouse. So maybe it's like six bedrooms or whatever. But is the when you're in that house, it doesn't. It's not like the house is futuristic, or it's yeah, sort of. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. They don't get better TV programs. No, and it's not got like a machine like they have on Star Trek, where it just sort of creates any meal you want. No. So part of me is envious of that. I guess of that wealth, but also part of me thinks if I was that rich, I'd buy a really nice house that was a million pounds. Mm. And then have nineteen million pounds knocking around. I know it's not that simple because they're probably all mortgaged the hill. They've probably all got it on cap- leveraged capital. And then the next pub we went to <laughs> <laughs> was was we got all the way to Camden. This is a quite a nice walk actually, and we got to the Dublin Castle, which I've never been before. Oh man, I love that pub, and it's just. I mean, if you grew up at all listening to kind of indie music. <laughs> Then the Dublin Castle, it's like, it just almost sounds like it has to be pronounced by Steve Lamack 
doing the gig listings that week. You know, it's just it's a big Britpop pub. It was massive in the nineties. And but also like I like how every pub around in Camden is essentially has a place in the Britpop story because like the Elephant's Head, I think, is another one. And the World's End. Yeah, World's End's kind of more of a rock metal pub now, isn't it? Yeah. But we walked in, it was the day that Meatloaf died. And Meatloaf's been a big part of my life. And, I, you know, I, I wasn't liking... I wasn't distraught, but it sort of does make you reference back somewhat. And we just walked in and they were playing Bat Out of Hell. And I just found it so moving. I just, just saw this... Just to know that in pubs and bars across the world, these sort of tiny little memorials and toasts to a musician were being held by playing their music. It felt so lovely. It really did. And it felt a bit as well like, you know, we all obviously know Meatloaf's music and we know all its pomp and grandiosity and kind of silliness. But there was something quite, as you say, there's something quite moving about it. And you heard it in the context of him having died. And um, it was, yeah, it was, it was. You know, and it, it and it, it felt like you know everyone in the pub was part of something. You know, yeah, and uh, even though you know there was no sort of like communal acknowledgement that that's why it was being played, but I think also the thing with meatloaf is the pubs that, and you'll remember a lot of them, but the pubs I went into when I was a teenager and when I was in my early twenties, but teenager especially, when you're sort of struggling with identity and where where you fit in and where you want to go. I just associate pubs that played meatloaf with being full of nice people. So like the Hatchet in Bristol, where I did my first gig, was a rock pub. And I remember always sort of being surprised by how the places I felt most safe out drinking were the places with the people who perhaps looked most aggressive, you know, so like tattoos and piercings and Mohicans and stuff. And I always remember feeling like the perhaps the more dangerous you looked, the more nice a person you were. And actually the places that were off limits were the places where so everyone looked incredibly neat and stank of jupe and had their sort of uh, Fred Perry polos and... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So I, I associate meatloaf in a pub with feeling like amongst like-minded people and amongst people who I could talk to. Because we, when we were at sixth form, we spent a lot of time sort of hanging out with the goths. And, you know, I had a Mohican and wore nail varnish and dog collars and velvet jackets and all kinds of ridiculous. Yeah, I just had baggy T-shirts. I think that was my... Yeah, look. Robin, but Robin wore Nirvana T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. May I have you know. Still got them. Actually, I don't. The, I, the, I, sorry, sidetrack here, but the Come As You Are T-shirt that I had as a kid is um, now worth £600. Is it really? I don't know what I did with it. Hmm. Maybe it came as you went. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, that's that's kind of the end of my oh, point, right. really. But I just, it felt so nice, and I, and I felt... Um, this is in the what's it called the castle of the Dublin Castle. Dublin Castle, yeah. I just walked in and immediately felt at home, and they had inches cider on tap, which is what I'm drinking now. Well, therein lies the root of the evening's problems, <laughs> because we saw they had inches on tap, and you know, I've only just discovered inches. Really lovely, delicious cider, and I just thought we can't leave after one because we were off to a friend's birthday. Uh, 
Uh, and so I made her stay for more. And I think that was a big mistake looking back. Yeah, I think that was our fifth pint. Oh, my God. And I, th- I texted someone uh, the next day saying, if you have five pints before the birthday party, then you don't have much to offer the birthday party. Yes, right. <laughs> I think that was potentially true. Uh, but you turned to me at one point. Oh, my God, yeah. And I love the these sort of moments of clarity. And I think it was the start of our second pint of inches in the, the Dublin Castle. You said, this is the pinnacle. <laughs> And it's it's just so true. And I knew, and you knew, and I think Meatloaf knew. Meatloaf knew. Which is not to say the birthday party wasn't great. It was really nice to see everyone, see our friend Johnny. Uh, but, um, I mean, let's just say it's Tuesday now, and I'm, I still feel hungover. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. It's terrible. So, I only had one at the party. I had a mulled cider, which was obviously kind of left over from Christmas, but it was very nice, 4%. Mm. Old, lovely Robin had been amusing himself with high-strength lagers all the all the all the way. Well, the thing is, it's because I hadn't eaten. Because whenever I meet up with you, the t- food is very secondary. Do you know what I mean? Well, I assume you've preloaded right. because you know if I'm doing the radio, I've had minimum two prets. Really, you're on a double pret. Oh, so Fridays, when I do the radio, it's so... uh, My eating is so weird. So, like, I'll have breakfast, and then I get into London about 11, and I'll then have a second breakfast, basically. So I'll go to Pret, and I'll load up for breakfast and lunch. So in the studio at half 11, I'll have, like, a, a tomato and mozzarella croissant, or a veggie sort of roll they do. But then I'll all also have like a baguette and maybe a salad and perhaps a a pano raisin. Okay. So by the time I get to three o'clock, I'm pretty stuffed, so I'm really ready to hit the hammer. Well, this is the thing, though, because I work till five and you finish at, like, half three. So you're always like, you know, do you want to meet up? And I was like, yeah, I'll finish work at five. And, and you go like, okay, I'll meet you at half four. <laughs> in the pub. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not going to get anywhere till six. So, like, you know, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. But there's also just, I mean, I just didn't eat. I had a, I had a sausage sandwich when I got home. And it, and honestly, I, it, I feel like I left a bit of my mind in Camden. But you have to just have an extra sandwich at work. Yeah, should have done that. Should have. You've got to do that. Chips. Ah, oh, but this is... Oh, who needs to hear this? Well, I know it's interesting, because, like, if you're starting a night out at half five, dinner's really difficult, because, you know, you're going to a birthday do in a pub at seven or eight. It's not like you can go for a sit-down meal. No. And I was mixing as well. It's the ciders and the beers. I think you've just got to wallop some food in you at sort of half four, three. Wallopers. Good name for a cafe. So how many... So I left... Oh, I'd had, No one needs to know this. Well, I'd be interested to know. How many How many did you have at the... At the... Uh, tapping the Admiral? Um, I think... Um, maybe two or three Pilsners. With Liam Williams. Lovely to see him. Lovely to see Liam Williams. Check out his episode of The Moon Underwater. So you only had a couple of points more than me. But sometimes it just feels like there's a threshold. You know? And you just cross it. And here's a top tip, folks. So I woke up 
the next day. I'd had six pints. I woke up with an immense feeling of shame. I think you texted me saying it was the, one of your top five worst ever hangovers. It was, yeah. But top tip, folks. So um, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm not having a go at Robin. But the the lager you were drinking in the secret pub was 5.2%. Oh, Jiminy Cricket. I was drinking Guinness. Then Inches is 4.5%. And then the, the mulled cider I had was 4% bang on. So over the course of six pints, it's quite interesting. If you're drinking something... 20% weaker. You've had seven pints and I've had six pints, or you've had six pints and I've had five pints. So I fucked up. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not, it's not wrong. I'm just saying it's interesting in terms of like hangover. If you're drinking something that's 4% versus something that five is 5% over the course of the evening has a massive impact. Massive it is. Massive impact was definitely what I was feeling. <laughs> yeah. Crikey. But right. anyway... It's nice to have a bit of a longer chat with you, my dear. And I've polished the bar now. It's all gleaming and glistening. But I I do believe, Robin, earlier on, I was just checking the, the, the gaps between the floorboards to see if any sort of memories had fallen between them. And I heard the most beautiful sigh. It was the sigh. It was like a lark ascending, that sigh I gave this morning. I said to myself, is that Vaughan Williams at the door? And no, it was Robin sighing for the mist. <laughs> That's how I sighed. That was the sigh. Yeah, it was quite amazing. I, the, 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 the mist mailman was in tears. I've got, a re- I've got some really nice mists. I got a nice mist here from Duncan Wilbury. He says, Hi, Robin. Just wanted to say how thrilled I was when I heard you mention the oft-overlooked and overshadowed Gardener's Arms on North Parade, not the Plantation Road one. NP, November Papa. Yeah. He says, I'm Oxford-born and it's always been mine and James, the Robins, to my Allender (laughs) favourite pub. Despite the fact we've both moved away somewhat and only make it there once or twice a year... The lovely landlord always remembers us. I love that. We always love the fact that the walls are adorned with camera certificates from 93, 94 and 95. And it's as if the landlord's thought process back then was, we've nailed it, let's not change a thing. And they literally haven't (laughs) for almost 30 years. Thanks for everything over the last year. I'm a big fan of the Moon Underwater uh, and and the Personal Beatles, he says. Another good podcast. And they have a company. Oh, yeah, do check, do check out the Personal Beatles podcast, Robin's other podcast for people who like children's nursery rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and really, really quite exceptional music as well. Uh, <laughs> and they have accompanied me on many a solo pub trip. Cheers. That's very nice. Thanks, Duncan. Uh, I was thanks, actually, Dunks. I was, I was listening to a great kind of Beatles-related album today, which I thought you would really like, which is Thrilling Thrillington, which is the album Paul McCartney made, which is a cover of his own album, Ram. It's very Zappa-esque. Yeah, it's really good. That's quite a Bonnie Prince Billy thing to do, cover your own album, isn't it? I mean, and I, I, I tend to be disappointed when Bonnie Prince Billy does it, more often than not. Yeah. But but is it is is it better than the original? No, it's not, but it's really, really interesting. He released it under the name Percy Thrillington. Yeah, it's good. Okay, got a lovely mist here, and this is from Teresa in Worthing. And this is great. The subject is the Castle Ale House. Ahoy there, Captain JR and first mate Robin. 
The nautical address will make more sense once you have read on. The castle alehouse in Worthing that graced the street opposite to where I used to live has closed its doors, and I stumbled across this absolute gem detailing the antics of the final night. So I think she's found online somewhere someone like reviewing the final night in this pub, the castle alehouse. I never did step one toe into the pub, call it shyness, being a lone woman, the pub not forming a large part of my life at the time. I now regret not taking the plunge to step a foot over the threshold and perhaps never come out. Since listening to your podcast, I can appreciate what this pub must have represented to some, resembling a house with good old-fashioned grub and company, much like an extended family. I hope you enjoy reading this. I have highlighted my personal favourite parts. Keep up the fantastic work, chaps, Teresa, Teresa in Worthing. Uh, or Teresa. So this is the kind of review she's found of this pub. It's quite good. I arrived to a packed-out pub. People littered around the bar like confetti after a wedding, but this was more like a wake. I order a Guinness from Val. Kind of switches between past and present tense quite a lot. <laughs> but also, the danger is when you walk into a pub, it might actually be a wake. Yes, true. So you've got to be careful. I order a Guinness from Val. It is poured correctly. It is not extra cold. It is delivered to me victorious. A silken swan on... <laughs> A silken swan. <laughs> Did you write this? <laughs> a silken swan on dark velvet waters. My first sip is the deepest. And I'd never heard this phrase before, and I thought it was a drug reference. And I split the E with ease. My top lip coated with the spoils. Do you know what that means? I split the E? No. It means, it's. It's. I think some places do it as a kind of game. You have your first sip of Guinness, and the, 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 the amount of Guinness has to be right in the middle of the E. In the oh, word Guinness right. on the glass. And I think some pubs do that. If you do that first drink to that exact amount, you get it free kind of thing. But I split the E with ease, he says. My top lip coated with the spoils. He or she, I don't know who wrote this. I don't know where Teresa found it. Um, <laughs> this is quite good. <laughs> there is a clear pathway to both smoking areas, and I opt for the front. I do not smoke, not anymore, but there is a chance to breathe in some new friends and old and acclimatize <laughs> and acclimatize Imagine if you said how was your evening and I said oh it was great I breathed in some old friends to breathe in some new friends and old oh my god and acclimatise yourself to the night in the smoking area I vote for a while before I gave up and even then I would go outside oh I see what you mean he's gone back into way past yeah the sense of camaraderie was second to none even those who had been had even those who had given up would accompany you outside like an adventure where the weather is the main news I like that oh nice and this is just from the end it's something from the 90s. That's what it feels like. A pub like this, as busy as this. Dark brown wood everywhere. everywhere. Signs that insist you call nine wine wine. Like it. Or that ladies go right as they are always right. The smell is of people, polish, and of course beer. I wondered if you cut open the carpet, there would be fossiled camaraderie in layers like the crust of the earth. Quite, quite an intense uh, review of that last night of the Castle Ale House in Worthing. Thanks so much for sending that, Teresa. That was uh, very entertaining. That was very, very entertaining. Thank you. I'm quite overcome by the idea of breathing in old friends. 
I'm not quite sure about the thing. What is that thing like ladies go right because they're always right? Um, he's saying that like it's got loads of old, r- really old fashioned signs on the walls. You know, that with like really shit jokes and things. But I can't imagine what that's in reference to. Ladies go To like directions. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't, it actually doesn't make what any is it, sense. a picture of a map? Ladies go right. Yeah. Maybe it's to do with the loos. Uh, thank you so much for sending that in, Teresa. But before we welcome this week's guest, uh, we apologise for taking up so much of your time, but I've had the Reverend Scoop and the King's Eighth and Robin's on the Bravo Bravos, and it's nice to just kick back every once in a while. But we must pray silence and call trumpet to also pray silence before sounding their trumpets uh, for this month's patron's poem. Folks, if you want to be in the patron's poem, head to moonunderpod.com or patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod and you can contribute to the upkeep of this venerable realm and those who subscribe to the highest tier get their name forever immortalised in the patron's poem, which sometimes takes days to write. Yes, this month's patron's poem was good. It was good. It was a challenging one. Lovely, lovely lines, as always. Just, uh, yeah, just just vibed it, really. He just vibed it, really, mates. Uh, So here we go. When dawn is fog and all seems lost, when gathered clouds protect the frost, when futile sun retires unshone, foreboding night, the day is gone. Oh, rise up, friends, have hope, take flight. A distant glow remains alight. This portal leads to warmer times, where welcome flows and ale dost chime. Patrons gather for pints of best. From port and starboard, east and west. From Pennine, Hull, from Cork, from Evesham. Through the door, it's Josie Neesham. She's grabbed a seat to catch her breath. In velvet booth with lovely Beth. Oh, Beth, dear friend, so kind of thine. To budge along and share your wine. Two glasses, please, or is it three? For in the snug, who can it be? A pintsman bold, a pub gourmet. With pewter tankard, it's old Tom Frey. With eclectic tastes, you'd have a job, son. To guess the order of Emma Hobson. One night it's cider, the next it's schnapps. She sampled ale from all the taps. So when darker nights and shorter days have filled your mind with blacks and greys, come at once to the pub that mends all and have a chat with dear Joe Rendall. His smile could stretch a thousand yards with air a chuckle on the cards. To meet desire are bricks and mortar. Our guest ale's a local porter. So find some time, bring son and daughter, or a uni friend from your alma mater, to see the splendour of this unmatched quarter, this hallowed inn, this moon underwater. Oh, 
thank you so much, kind patrons. Your contributions really do make a huge difference. I do really mean that from the bottom of my H. But now I've polished the bar. I need to get these rags away from view because the bar is covered in rags, which have done their job. They have transitioned dust and grime from bar to rag. And we can't have this week's guest seeing a load of old blimmin' rags everywhere. Uh, so I'll pop them away and uh, we will prep for an engagement hence this week's guest. Robin, dear friend, uh, our guest should be here any minute. What can I pour you? It seems to be so long since I poured you a drink. Oh, could you just pour me a drink? That just sort of, but don't give me a drink. If you can just keep it pouring, but never getting to the top, I, I think I quite like that. Oh, it's sort of a perpetual pint. Yeah, perpetual pint, please. One perpetual uh, pint. One perpetual pint for Robin Allender coming right up. And as I look outside of our bowed windows, can you see the cobbles are beginning to... Uh, articulate themselves ever so they're sort of i, I want to say they're attempting to rotate yeah rotating cobbles almost like cogs coggles like cogs in a wonderful flat machine and uh, if i'm not mistaken that's because our guest for this week is approaching from i think the aft or maybe it's from the the port uh, but anyway whether it be aft or port this visage at the door must be this week's guest, Laura Thompson. Hello, Laura, come in. Hi, guys. How lovely to see you both. Make yourself very much at home here in the moon underwater. Oh, it's so nice. Isn't it, <laughs> isn't it, isn't it nice? And we've got quite a few, uh, I don't know if you can see them, but quite a few hides, um, sort of skins. Oh, interesting. Sounds creepy, but they're all, they're all 100% vegan. Oh, that's fine then. That's fine. Yes. That's okay. As a, although I, no, I'm not vegan. I'm vegetarian. And if there's a chunk of cheese on the counter, I'll be, uh, I'll be tucking into it. Mm. Well, that's not a bad idea, actually. And just as you've desired it, so have they come. We've got cheddar. We have got a brie, a gruyere, a camembert. Wow. That's, that's high end. Yeah, it does. It does just arrive and various soft blues. Oh my God. Is that <laughs> amazing. I'm only used to a chunk of cheddar and a, a, a necklace of Ritz crackers around it. That, oh, that, what a lovely image. Yeah. A necklace of Ritz crackers, like, you know, those sort of novelty pants they used to make out of sweets. <laughs> but you could actually have a necklace made out of Ritz crackers. Yeah. An entirely edible wardrobe. Interesting. <laughs> no, no, I, it's a good analogy. So, Laura, we'll get on to the, the specific publication that brought you to our attention and one that we have shared with listeners to The Moon Underwater in the past. But your list of expertise and interests is quite extraordinary. Um, I'll, just, I'll just walk I'll walk people through it. Greyhounds, the Mitford sisters, horse racing... Ballet, Agatha Christie. <laughs> How do you keep all that stuff in your head? 
It, it, it sounds almost like someone who should be sectioned with all that going on inside. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I know. It's, and you missed out um, Lord Lucan, actually, which is... Yes. Um, let's throw him in, you know, because there's a pub connection with Lord Lucan, of course, which is that um, Lady Lucan, when she escaped the house in Lower Belgrave Street, ran to the plumber's arms at the end of the street... So um, if there's a murder and a pub, you know, double, double top kind of. But um, I don't know, John. I just, anything that interests me, I, I try and write a book about. And that's how it came about, really. Like I wrote um, my, my first book, which was about dog racing, which I now sort of deplore. I'm a bit almost embarrassed by that book now, although it was really good as a career launch. But um, that was because of my dad. You know, he was a gambler and he was um, horse racing as well. You know, he when he died, he left me a racehorse. So I, li I, I lived in Newmarket for a while. It also – and then – I was either at the dogs at the age of about six or I was in my grandmother's pub or I was at ballet school. So it's um, or I was reading Agatha Christie. So it's all um, what can I say? It's all sort of it's a it's a it's a misspent youth that has born a certain amount of fruit, I suppose. And I, I think lucky, really lucky to have that kind of childhood. I don't, I don't know if it's possible anymore because the adults are doing kids things, whereas my parents and what have you, they just, you know, they took me along with whatever they were doing and I just sat there and took it all in. So it was it was a, a privilege, I think, really. Well, first off, it must make you excellent pub company because you've got so many disparate areas of knowledge. But also it's quite refreshing because I think one thing we've lost with our obsession with sort of brands and algorithming and recommendations is the sort of the, the British polymath, you know, because it, was it ever a struggle with your publishers once you'd written books about greyhound racing and horse racing, and then you suggest books about Lord Lucan or the Mitford sisters or ballet? Are they then going, hang on, hang on, we, you're, you're the racing person, we can't. Is there ever any sort of resistance from them? Are they happy for you to sort of write about whatever is taking your fancy? Polymath is is so flattering. I mean, it's just just off the scale. I don't you know really. It's like a shot of gin to the head. It's um, polymath in in the very very um, most esoteric you know, but not. It's almost like separate lives. If I were to say to my agent now, who's so posh, I'm terrified of her. If I would, <laughs> if I were to say, oh, do you know, um, when I was a columnist on the Racing Post, she would, you know, I mean, she'd fall over. It would be, it, it, it's like a past life. And I, I still read the Racing Post and all those things. And occasionally it, you know, it all sort of coalesces. But to me, they're, they're just, Things I'm interested in, you know, I still get a thrill when I go to Newmarket. I still love reading Agatha Christie. Um, I don't know where the Mitfords comes into all this. I read when Nancy Mitford said, oh, my God, Graham Greene, um, all, all that pub life, like poor people. I thought, oh, my God, I, you know, that's just a whole other thing. She probably thought that Brooks's was a pub. But it. no, no one has ever said you can't write that. No one has 
No, no. So I'm, you know, very, very lucky. The only thing is when they're very esoteric, you don't get paid much money for them. The only, <laughs> the only one I ever got paid any money for was Agatha Christie. Surprise, surprise. No one's going to pay a lot for, I don't know, the history of Newmarket or whatever. But I loved writing that book. I loved writing that book. The pubs in Newmarket are terrifying. Have you ever been in a pub in Newmarket? No. No. What, what, tell us about them. Well, because everyone's up at Harper's Four or something, so their equivalent of, you know, cocktail hour is kind of about 10 in the morning. So it's it's all, well, I'm exaggerating a bit, but it's, it's, it's you know, and no one eats. No one eats. Everyone's going around waitrose with empty trolleys because you can't eat because you've got to make the weight. And it's, it's just a really, um, I mean, I lived there for a while. I lived there while this horse was in training. I know it sounds really grand. It really isn't. Uh, and But it was a big thrill living there. Um, but it was just too fun. You couldn't. You, you, <laughs> it was like being back at university. If you walked out of the house, you would see someone you knew and you'd get into a whole thing of, oh, what's going to win the 2000 guineas, blah, 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 blah. And then you'd end up at someone's house drinking. And it was it was too fun, too fun. I had, <laughs> <laughs> I had to leave. I had to go. It was, it was yeah. But, you know, recommended, highly recommended for a break. <laughs> I mean, John and I came across you, obviously, through your book, The Last Landlady. And um, when we first started doing this podcast, I, I, I put out a tweet atting the um, backlisted guys to see if they could recommend a good pub, you know, good books about pubs, etc. And the first one that came back was from John Mitchins and saying The Last Landlady. Oh, good and for John. Re- uh, yeah, and it really, um, which is, because pu- it's published by Unbound, wasn't it? Which is John Richardson's. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's genuinely just one of the best kind of social history books I think I've read, really. And, you know, you're talking about how you kind of grew up in your grandmother's pub. I, I, I sort of feel like I've been there having read the book. You know, I feel like I kind of know Violet and everything. And what what's just fantastic about the pub is kind of, you pan out and you talk about so many other things and you talk about how it's a very nostalgic book because you kind of, part of it's kind of this elegy to, it is the last landlady. It's kind of this elegy of things aren't quite the same anymore. Communities have changed, society's changed. And yeah, and and, and I, I saw you've kind of written an afterword for it, which is since published since the copy I've got. So I wondered if you could talk a bit about that, like what you put in that afterword and kind of your thoughts about the state of pubs as they are now, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first, thank you so much. I mean, that really means a lot, honestly. Uh, when I saw that you sort of read it and been so good about it, 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 honestly, because it was, you know, the phrase a labour of love is so hackneyed, but that really was a labour. It's the only book I've ever enjoyed writing. You know, I was killing myself laughing. And the the magic of memory, the magic of you know the the smells of that pub are still somewhere in your in your nose. How is that possible? You know, and I could feel what the 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 floor felt like under my feet. It was it was absolutely a, a magical experience writing that book. But going back to what you were saying, I couldn't get that published by a normal a normal publisher. I mean, <laughs> Unbound are fantastic, but they they really wanted to do it, but no one else would do it. But yes, I wrote an afterword because of obviously what's happened. It was hard to do because I don't know. I just don't know. 
I'd be really interested to know what you guys think. You know, I can remember in the summer of 2020, I live in um, Kew um, and walking along Strand on the Green, which is one of my favourite walks. And there's a, a couple of brilliant pubs there and seeing these people outside and seeing life almost visibly returning to, to, to these human beings just sitting outside the bloody pub with a pint, you know, Jesus. And I thought, oh, gosh, we're really going to start valuing this, what looks like it's, you know, pubs closing. We all know about that. And that it might end up being a good thing for pubs. But I don't know. It's so easy to think, oh, you, you know, it's like oh, every day matters, every every experience matters. And then you forget all that, don't you? And everything just goes back to normal and you, you, you and the shifts are not as apparent as you think they are. So the last time I went to the pub and I lived two doors down from a pub, which is, you know, bearable, um, <laughs> it, was, it was exactly the same as if none of this had ever happened. So I don't know. I mean, what 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 do you guys think? I mean, I think I I hope that you know COVID has made people value what makes pubs special after having spent a long time inside. But I mean, obviously, pubs have had to. It's been a huge struggle for them to stay open and everything. But that's my hope is that people start to really, you know, realize they've taken them for granted and kind of. I'm being very optimistic here, really. I think no, that people, you're right. You're right. Go on. <laughs> I think also there's. There has to. It's a two-way thing. I think also pubs, people or companies, big companies that run pubs that they have themselves taken for granted. I I think I would like to think that the the value of your forty quid on a night out or whatever you want to get the best bang for your buck. And I I I would like to think that pubs will be slightly more responsive to the community of people that use it. But I remember thinking at the start of lockdown, the first lockdown, when, you know, all the pubs were shut and then some started doing off sales. And there were some really inventive ways that people who ran pubs were able to connect with their community in a really incredible way. And I thought, oh, the ones that think outside the box will get through this. But then, you know, when the third or fourth load of restrictions or tweaks to the restrictions come in, you can't keep reinventing yourself on a sort of a monthly basis. So I did sort of feel for for those publicans who had really put an effort in, like people doing pizza deliveries near us. Um, they got a pizza oven and they sold beer in sort of plastic bottles and they would take them round to your front door, you know, pizza and five pints in these in these bottles. But then you get told you can't do that. And so what do you do? You've just forked out for a pizza oven. You know, it must have been incredibly challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's cruel, really cruel. It's a tough, tough life. I mean, my grandmother's life, when I think back, you know, a woman, 60 or whatever, which then was older than now, and pulling yourself together, putting putting a show on, putting a face on, all that kind of thing, getting out there every twice, you know, because then you had licensing hours and all that kind of thing. And now, of course, it's very, very different. But it's a really tough life. I've got so much admiration for publicans. You know, and you don't know what's coming at you. Every time that door opens, you don't know what, you know, you just don't know what's coming at you, do you? I'm not usually, it's somebody very, very nice who just wants a pint. But, you, you know, it's, it's that definite, which I really started thinking about when I wrote the book of, because uh, you say a public house and it's just something you hear all your life. And then I thought, yeah, a public house 
it's a house and it's public. And, and, and it, it, when you really think about what those two words mean, it, it, it's quite profound, actually. And I, I, it, it just fascinates me, that slight shift in, in being that comes upon people when they go from their home. I mean, I, I leave my flat, I walk, you know, 20 metres or whatever, and then I'm in a pub and I'm someone slightly different. And I just love that. And I love that shift. And what they give... I mean, you can say, yeah, you go and have a drink or you go and have something to eat or whatever. But what they give is something so subtle, I think, and so important. But whether, you know, we don't live in an age of kind of nuance or anything like that. And and I, you know, part of me is really optimistic and, and part, will they reinvent themselves to the point that they're no longer what we would recognise as pubs? I don't, you know, I, do, I, I don't know, but I, I prefer to be optimistic. Well, I think also engaging with the local community in the sense of, you know, the beers you have and the ciders and the food and where you get the stuff from. Because all too frequently you go into a pub and it's the same three or two or one ale or all of the ales are off or whatever. Whereas when you go into a pub and you say, oh, what's this? And they go, oh, this is just from up the road. And, you know, our the sausage meat in our sausage rolls is from the local a farm or whatever i think that sort of thing is is really important but so when your grandmother was opening up the pub did you see a shift in her before and after the the doors would open was it kind of a performance mm, that's exactly what it was particularly with that twice you know it's like the palladium twice nightly i mean obviously it wasn't nightly but um and she was she was terrible about opening she always it was like a power thing you know if anyone started walking up that country it was a it was a it was i say in the book all the best pubs are urban i do feel that even though that this was in the country but if someone was walking up that country road if she saw them at 4 minutes to 6 she'd say don't don't turn the lights on no lights don't you know they had to sort of wait they had to i mean it's so ridiculous because everyone knew she was doing it but it was like a, a power thing i'm going to hold on to what's my life before i start giving to them and she was really glamorous she was really glamorous you know all those kind of uh, clichés about landladies and and um you know because my book is also quite a lot about class um and the kind of you know I did experience that you know because people people don't necessarily think that I would you know that my grandmother's a landlady or whatever I mean it's so ridiculous but she was so she was totally classless as I feel the best pubs should be well we must move forward in time or maybe even backwards in time from one magic pub to another because we need to start creating your perfect pub Laura to what extent do you think it's going to be uh based on on your grandma's pub that's a very good question <laughs> it's it's um you know it is going to be a, a kind of a recreation of that pub I think it is I mean it was really nice inside it was very old it had a fantastic fireplace which I think never hurts and um it, it had a good layer I don't know do you agree with me about this that the layout of a pub is really really important that you you want to feel you can be private you're not completely on show when you walk in you know sometimes you feel so conspicuous but you also want to feel intimate 
and and you want a good relationship with the counter, all that kind of thing. And hers hers really did have that. It had a good a good shape and a good feel. And I suppose my perfect pub would be something slightly different. This is more like my dream pub, if you know what I mean. It's a kind of it, it's filtered through all that memory um, stuff. So. You may be disappointed in some of my um, choices. Not at all. Well, Not no, all. I think you might be. But we- <laughs> <laughs> Robin, before we uh, pick Laura's first choices, do you want to read uh, a little segment from the Last Landlady to get us in the get us in the mood of of a pub where the magic of memory sits with the smells of the pub still in your nose, where the evening is phrased. I love that idea of phrasing the evening. Well, I, I mean, this is maybe an unusual section but i just really like this more kind of sociological reading of how things have changed where you're talking about how things have changed since your grandmother's time and you say and it was this the power of image that was perhaps the greatest change of all leading as it did to self-awareness as a normal condition today this has reached its end game with the smartphone but the psychological change the desire to inhabit images to behave as if one were starring in a film about oneself or moving around within an advert for oneself surely began in the 1980s when a lifestyle rather than a life became the aim and the individual became supreme as never before. My grandmother saw all this and understood it perfectly without articulating it. Potty sod, putting himself about, was as far as she went. When, for an example, a man whose dream was to be identified as a yuppie entered the saloon, asked for a menu and left with a brutal flash of a Porsche key fob on being told that food was not to be had. <laughs> it's really good. That's brilliant. But isn't that, that's amazing. That, that idea about the century of the self kind of idea that we've become more self-absorbed and lost that kind of sense of community, that which is what pubs were all about once upon a time. You know, I think it's so well articulated there. Well, oh, gosh, that's honestly, <laughs> no, really, because this really means a lot to me. Um, I can't quite believe I'm on this podcast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, Nirvana. But um, yes, and uh, that there's a there's this picture of the the old pub, as she always called it, her father's pub. And they're just there. They haven't got an image of themselves in their head. And we can't do that anymore, can we? We just, you, you, the desire just to stand at those, this bloke just standing at the bar, he's got a woodbine or whatever, and he's got his this and he's got his that, and he is literally standing there. And I know, I know what I mean by that. I know, I know what I mean by always having the. Oh, there's me in the pub, aren't I? Aren't I authentic? It's, it's what um, Philip Larkin called the million petaled flower of being here, and I absolutely love that. Just the luxury of existence in and of itself, and you know, when you put that existence inside a pub, and you've got the right drink at the right temperature with the right landlady and the right. It's just everything just goes, yes, this is it. And you don't necessarily, though, as someone who is, I must say, I'm guilty of posting numerous photos of pubs on Instagram, you don't need any other justification for what you're enjoying. And you don't also need other people to to like it or to comment under it. You just need to be there. Mm. 
Oh, God, I'm going to have to get a can of Guinness on the plate. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just head out the back and get a can of Guinness, and, uh, and then we'll do your first choice. Okay. God, what a, what a quote by Larkin. That's, yeah, that's great. That's sublime. That really is. Is he really having a drink? Are you having a drink? I've got, um, well, I'm meant to be doing dry January, but I've taken quite a few days off. But I'm, I've got Heineken Zero. Oh, but, gosh. Um, I've got the pub... Um, Ice bucket down here. Oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that so was cool. that bastard business of always trying to get ice before there was an ice machine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine no ice machine? So I think I'm going to join you guys. Oh, great. Oh, the wine's coming out. Yep. That's brilliant. But it's so like, this is the trick that alcohol plays on you. Because I've basically, I've talked myself into a reverie. And because <laughs> in my mind, I'm standing in the pub that you've describing, I really want to pint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, well, cheers. Cheers. I, yeah, I got. I really feel like a pro- proper drink. <laughs> Does anyone really do dry January? I think I lasted three days. I've done it several times. Well, maybe I've done it three or four times. But this, I, I just there were a couple of things I didn't want to. I had a friend's birthday party and went to a gig last Friday. So I just, I'm just trying to moderate it. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm a big supporter of Dry January. I've done it three or four times as well. But I think the one flaw in the plan is, if you think, right, I'm going to have January off, and there's one thing like a wedding or a birthday that you just can't bear the idea of not drinking at, you because you've got this pressure for the whole month you then sort of mug off the entire experience and probably end up drinking more you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of London, Neil and I have started to become friends. Our polite greetings over the fence turned into garden barbecues and drinks down the local pub. 
But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is so far removed from my own, I'm desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person. Because, believe it or not, even doctors have lives outside of the operating theatre. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities. I want you to be involved in these conversations too. I can't wait to get into this, so make sure you subscribe or follow Doctor Next Door from wherever you usually get your podcasts. Laura, we need to pick your first two draft choices in this pub of yours. Uh, So what are you going to have? Okay, this is the bit I'm ashamed about, particularly when you did that beautiful speech about, you know, people getting local beers and all that kind of thing. And this, this is bad because I, I don't understand beer. I don't know what anyone's talking about. I, I, I've never actually drunk it. So this is, this is poor. So all I can do is tell you the two drafts that were at my grandmother's pub. It, it, it was a Whitbread pub. So there was tankard and there was trophy, had a slogan, and it was the pint that thinks it's a quart, if that means anything at all. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, does it? The but pint there, that thinks it's a quart. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> <laughs> the pint that <laughs> had delusions of grandeur. But right. um, but nobody ever had it. There were that. Yeah, that was the thing about that bar, that tiny little bar. You couldn't really get three people in it, but you did. And there was always an alternative that nobody ever had. So Trophy was there. It was completely unused, whereas Tankard, you know, you always needed the barrel changing and it was always spluttering and blah, 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 and overflowing. And I mean, I can still see how grim that was, that bit of carpet. (laughs) Oh, man, because of course everyone smoked. And um, so... That's poor, isn't it? Nobody's going to want to drink them, but they will create the smell that I, I like. That rep- yeah, this is a, a nostalgic uh, reason to have them, and that's as, as good a reason as any. I mean, I, th- I definitely like to, to try a, a tankard and a, and a really? trophy. Really? really? <laughs> do, 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 I think they're the, the perfect choices for this pub of yours because they're – their nostalgia without it actually being anything to do with the beers themselves. There's, it's what they represent as opposed to what they taste like or how much people might want them. I think that's a superb choice. Well, that's thank you. Trophy is 3.6%, but I, I fear some statis- statistics about Tankard may be too far out of my mind's grasp. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you can still get Trophy, really? by the way. Yeah. Oh, and you can still get Tank. Oh, no, Tankard is no longer produced, unfortunately. Is it not? Um, but that doesn't matter. That's no restriction that we have to abide by whatsoever. Uh, but also that that smell. I wonder if you walked into a pub that sold them both now, if that smell would hit you, like the sort of perfect perfume where they have to have sort of 50 different bits and bobs, whether yes. that smell can only exist with those two beers. Yes, but you'd also have to have... Um multiple dead um, fag ends of Benson and Hedges or Dunhill or Embassy or whatever, just to give the full, you know, multi-layered... Well, Laura, outside... uh, Well, my the pub nearest to me is the six pubs on my road. Wow. Has has just been taken over by a new uh, landlord and landlady, a couple... And they smoke out of the back door. 
So the pub has this beautiful patina of of secondhand smoke, which I just <laughs> absolutely adore. But I'm not going to name them or the pub in case the pub company tell them to stop doing it because it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, but that's perfect, John. So you haven't got all the fog and what have you, but you've got the kind of promise of it or the, the echo of it or something. That's, abs- that's perfect. It's almost... It only really needs to be brought in on their breath once every 20 minutes, like like as if they'd planted a jasmine bush outside the back door. <laughs> <laughs> in a nice pub, in a nice pub, in a nice pub, in a nice pub, in a nice pub. Whitbread Tankard and Whitbread Trophy are on draft. And I can see in your hand a bottle, so uh, I'm guessing you may have uh, more specific personal interest in the selections of the bottles and or cans. Uh, So what are you going for? Okay, well, um, I'm going to have wine because that's what I drink. But I'm going to, in the interest of nostalgia, I'm going to have a bottle of Libframilch because that was all, because nobody really drank wine in those days. Um, Well, it came in, it came in. And I regarded that as a bad thing because I thought spirits were what you should have in a pub. So I saw it come in wine because it was, you know, healthy. That was the, that was the pitch. Um, <laughs> but it was this terrible bottle of Libfrau Milch. Uh, I mean, just awful. But to cheat, I'm going to decant into it a Puyli Fuise. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> kind of Trojan horse of wines. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So we're not ruining the beautiful pub with anything too sort of, you know, flash. But but we don't have to drink Libfrau Milch. So that that's the plan. So how do you spell Puile Frise? Sorry, I think I've said that wrong. So that is... Oh, you've got me. Well, well how do you say it, just so I know that I'm saying it correctly? Puile Frise. P-O-U-I-L-L-Y. Is that right? F U I. Double S E, yes. Oh wow! And and is that that uh, that's a white wine? Is it? Yes, it's gorgeous. It's kind of what they call flinty. Mm. Oh, nice, Robin. You like you like uh, mineral minerality in I your love, white wine, I don't love you? A mineral minerality, yeah. I want it to be like licking a stone. <laughs> <laughs> so Puile Fuisi in a bottle of Liebfrau Milch. Which I'm probably pronouncing that worse, actually, than Puile Fuisi. Would they? Would the Germans say Liebfrau Milch? No, I'm what sure would they, they wouldn't. Say? What would they say? Liebfrau Milch, isn't it? Milk. Oh, is that what they say? I don't know. I'm kind of guessing. <laughs> no, I'm sure you're right. Is it? Is it fashionable? Has it got fat? You know, the, the things come and go, don't they? I just wonder. Was it kind it... of the same sort of grouping as Blue Nun kind of? Yes, thing? yes, right? yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Black Tower, but it wasn't either of those. I mean, I used to love it, and 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 you know, when you've had too much of something, and you, you even the thought makes you, you know, you can still feel that heave um, of horror. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it would be a sort of a sweet riesling, wouldn't it? Yeah, were you to try and find an equivalent now? In fact, it's probably still. I'm sure it's still made, but it's it's a it's almost a dessert wine kind of thing, isn't it? Oh God, I don't. Yeah, I suppose. Is it is it sweet? Well, it's medium, isn't it? And you don't get many medium white wines available in. If you went to Tesco, I don't think you'd be able to find a single one 
unless unless you did buy a bottle of Black Tower. Do they still do Black Tower? Yeah, it's very very drinkable. <laughs> um, truly. Yeah, yeah. You can re- on a summer's day a pint of a pint of Black Tower full a of pint. ice. Oh, delicious. <laughs> oh yeah, because there used to be a woman who came in the pub and had a double wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'd love a double wine. So what's what's your second bottle or can, Laura? Well, it's going to be um, what my grandmother used to call Noily Pratt. I don't know. <laughs> uh, because her signature drink was a gin and French. That was what she wanted to die with a gin and French in her hand, which she almost achieved, nearly. Um, I can't see any of this sort of, you know, she lived to nearly 100. So, you know, keep boozing, guys. Um <laughs> Sorry, that's not very responsible, is it? But it, um, yeah, Noily Pratt, so vermouth, French vermouth, so that I can make a, a gin and French because the clue being that I'm also going to have some gin. Uh, because it just, just remind the first time I had it, I thought it was so disgusting. I thought she was joking. It was so, it's got a kind of crackle in it almost, hasn't it? A kind of... Um, all I like was the olive. It's it's uh, it's a taste like no other. I think she made it too strong, probably. Right. Because that was. So a, is, it, is this different from a martini then, a gin and French? Or, it or is, is it? no, it is a martini. Right, it's, right, yeah. But it's what she she always called it, gin and French. But I think she had too much gin in it because that was her dream was to just put more of everything in. You know, it's ridiculous, really. But it was fun and everyone went along with it it was like that thing she used to do when people bought her a drink and cheers violet and then she'd just cheers darling and then sort of chuck it on the floor beside her stool because she never wanted to get too drunk and everyone knew she was doing it because there was this strip of carpet beside her stool that just sort of (laughs) reeked of (laughs) teacher's whiskey just sort of it was like a sort of teacher's whiskey you know you could have practically grown it uh, uh, on this (laughs) bit of carpet and uh, everyone knew she did it but that again is like a I don't know. It's like the myth of the publican. They've always got their little quirks and foibles and all that sort of thing. And that that was part of her thing. So. I really like that sort of publicans are grouped alongside, you know, vicars, GPs and people from the military where a landlord could sign the back of your uh, passport photo or something. There is that sort of air of respect and dignity and that they sort of have accountability and self-control. I, I do like that sort of that vision of uh, a, an upstanding member of the community. So obviously you can't just get hammered every night in your own pub. It is a love. I mean, my great grandfather, whom I never, I mean, he died in the, the 1950, but he was, yes, he was, you know, he'd go for a walk. Hello, John, blah, blah, blah. Cause they all liked him. Of course they bloody liked him. And, um, you know, he'd go over the road and have a shave and he'd have a bet and all this kind of thing. And it was, I don't mean to, you know, sound too kind of, you know, nostalgic in a, or oh, wasn't it lovely when everyone knew each other in the street and all that kind of thing, but it does sound really, really nice. It just does. And um, his his pub was kind of next door to the church. And obviously, uh, the way I saw it was that both were offering a kind of sanctuary, really. But his was more fun. I mean, I do think a pub is a kind of sanctuary. You know, the people who used to go in my grandmother's pub who 
they they just sat there. They didn't really talk to anyone. They didn't, um, you know, they were one of them had been a prisoner of war and he just used to sort of occasionally say, Freitag or something like that. You know, he was really buggered up, the poor guy. And he used to sit there with this little woman who never spoke to anyone either, really. And I suppose you could say, well, they were having a drink. They wanted to have a drink. Um, but it was more than that. It was more than that. There was a kind of, I don't know, it's like that public house thing again, I say. It was just better than being at home. There was an effort. There was a social contract going on. It was It's just something kind of beautiful about it, I think, even though it's not necessarily about something as simple as having a really good time. It's something, you know. So, yeah, the publican is an upstanding, yeah, I think they are fine figures in the in very important figures in the community they do more good than the most i'd say well with tankard trophy puili fuis in a Liebram milch bottle and noily pratt in order that we may complete our gin and french we head to the moon underwater pub quiz robin okay everybody pens out eyes down it's time for the quiz Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Thanks, John. And welcome to this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Phone's off, except if you're listening on your phone. As ever, no prizes except the fun of taking part. And this week, it's a multiple choice round about pub names. So coming up later in the show, I'll be reading from this great book called The Old Dog and Duck, The Secret Meanings of Pub Names by Albert Jack, which my brother got me for Christmas. Thanks, Tom. And for the quiz, I thought I would prepare three questions about the origins of pub names. How, how, we, how do we feel about that? Really interested, really interested, but I know cool. I'm going to be hopeless. I was kind of hoping you might do the Epsom Derby or something. <laughs> or the Midford Sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Laura, we used to, we played a really good game on the radio once, which is pub ale or horse. Oh, that's good. And you have to guess whether the name you've been given is the name of a pub, an ale or a horse. And it's surprisingly difficult and yeah. good fun. What did Violet think of pub quizzes? Were they... Did she, were, was there ever a pub quiz in her her pub? No, but I I think she would have she what she had was a card school, you know the ah, okay the yeah. solo every. But I think she'd have been up for that. Yeah, if if absolutely, I love them. I love them, but I can't get on a you know where I live. It's not it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how you how you get on with this one. So the first one is the cross keys. Famous name for pubs. There's quite a few cross keys about. So is that A, a reference to the New Testament in which St. Peter is promised the keys to heaven by Jesus? Is it B, a sign that the pub was also a B&B? Is it C, a reminder that the pub would have been closed or locked with a key during the English Civil War? So that's the cross keys. God, those are such good bloody multiple choices you come Thanks. up with there. It's like, <laughs> it's like call my bluff or something. It's great. <laughs> Question two, the Eagle and Child, great pub in Oxford. Is that A, a pub that was frequented by falconers and their children? Is it B, a pub which faces the rising sun, an eagle 
being the heraldic symbol for the sun? Or is it C, a reference to a 14th century nobleman who tried to convince his wife that the illegitimate son he had fathered with his maid had actually been delivered to them by an eagle? <laughs> okay, that's two. Question three, the swan with two necks. That's quite an unusual pub name. I think there's one in Bristol, actually, a new one. The swan with two necks. Is the origin of that A, a creature from English folklore that terrorised Norfolk? Is it B, a corruption of two nicks? A reference to how Queen Elizabeth I's swans were identified in a swan census? Or is it C, a pub that served food as well as drink, therefore requiring a neck for ale and a neck for meat? <laughs> as, as the old folk song goes, a neck for ale thee shall need, and a neck for meat as well. The swan shall give thee both these things, as surely time will tell. So those are your three pub names. This is terrible. This is bad. Really? Really? Well, no, I mean, it's a sign of how good the options are that it's such a difficult quiz, because they're all pretty much believable. They really it's are. It's very well written. Thank you. Yeah, that, I, I did. It did take ages. <laughs> I tried to go for ones because if you know, I tried to go for ones where there t- does tend to be one meaning because a lot of pub names there's ambiguity around them. Mm. So I did try and go for ones where there wasn't too much ambiguity. No, they're brilliant. What's really annoying was that I really knew the answers to Dan Snow's quiz. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. So wow. I was I was feeling quite confident about this, and now it's it's, it's d- catastrophe. <laughs> well, if it's any comfort, I bet Dan Snow wouldn't have got 100% on this quiz. Well, I bet he would. So with these multiple tenterhooks, uh, we leave you at the end of part one of Laura Thompson's Moon Underwater. And just a reminder that you can support this pub by heading over to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod or just moonunderpod.com and you can contribute to three different levels of patronage for which you get a varying degree of rewards. But now we leave you to go and charge your glasses, go to the loo, have a shower, have a full day's work. It's really up to you when you listen to part two, but do head back to find out what follows Laura's choices of tankard, trophy, polyfuise, Noily Pratt, and also those quiz answers. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 